Welcome to the Intentional Parents Podcast. Intentional exists to help parents in their God-given task to raise passionate Jesus followers. We exist to bring hope, help, and healing to families. Each week, we will talk about anything from parenting, marriage, lifestyle, and what it looks like to follow Jesus in our time. Intentional is made up of Phil and Diane Comer and Brooke and Elizabeth Moser. I am Brooke, and the funny thing is, we are all family. Elizabeth is Phil and Diane's daughter, so we're a family figuring this thing out together. We hope this podcast feels like you're sitting with us in our home talking about how to do this thing called life together. Elizabeth and I are your hosts. Let's get into this week's podcast. What am I? A punk. I'm a punk. <laughs> We're starting this episode today on a sour note. <laughs> Apparently, I'm a punk. Um, today's a Q&R episode. I started recording, by the way, everybody. Uh, today's a Q&R <laughs> episode. Um, and the reason I want to I set up, why does Phil feel like I'm a punk? Well, I will tell you why. I'm glad you're going to explain <laughs> yeah. that. I didn't know you were recording. Oh, no. I'm capturing. I'm holding this above. I'm holding, I'm holding I don't normally use that word. <laughs> it's okay. We, we use that to our kids, like, stop being punks to each other. We say that. Um, the reason Phil is uh, frustrated with me is because I told him that we're going to do a Q&R episode, and I'm not going to let them see the questions before. And he's like, oh, man, you got to give me the question. I'm like, no way. We are going to do this Q&R episode, and they're going to be fresh. So today you can know that these questions have not <laughs> been uh, screened by anybody. We're going to ask your questions. Except that for you. you. It's no fair. You know the, the Oh, questions. but at the same time, someone has to have – hey, it's I have true. to be the it's parent true. in this group. I will be the mature parent in this group no uh, you know what's best for us no i think <laughs> i don't think that's true i think all four of us have control issues here i think we i think do. they just you may not get as good of an answer <laughs> they would have got if you would have told me what the questions are <laughs> well we'll see at the end of this episode well thanks for doing this experiment uh welcome back to the intentional parents podcast we are very very happy to be sitting uh with you wherever you're at today if you're on a walk or if you're sitting in your car or uh, if you find yourself in a free moment and you're deciding to listen to us, um, we're honored. Thank you. And uh, thanks for rating the podcast and subscribing and leaving comments. Again, we we always start our episodes with that because it really means a lot. And thank you for everyone that's done that. If you haven't had a chance, it is incredibly helpful to us. And we appreciate all the comments and just rating the podcast. So thank you. Uh, we want to answer your questions today and we're excited to do so. And so I'm going to start us off with a, a softball one, nothing too intense, but uh, a listener sent in a question. Uh, maybe talk about how to teach your kids how to have authentic prayer lives. This mm. is a good one. I think this is a. I I personally uh, like this one. But uh, how do we teach our kids? I I'll just while you guys are thinking, I'll give you some thinking time. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my thoughts is I think you have to pray a lot yourself. I think mm-hmm. you have to be a person that actually prays. Um, that doesn't mean you have to be. Uh, you know, uh, a desert father or mother, or that you are Mother Teresa in your prayer life. But I think it means that you are actively praying and bringing that into the normalcy of your life, uh, to their your kid's life. And um, I think there's a, a time and space that you are prioritizing spiritual things and your kids actually know that, you know, time in the morning, oh, yeah. uh, prayer walks. I think when they see that, I think that's very foundational to me. That's a very foundational uh, piece but feel like I see you have your Bible open. Well, you just made me think of, of a scripture, oh, what yes. you just said, because that's the first thing that came to my mind before you started brilliantly talking, even though you 
that punk being, you mean. Whatever. <laughs> I was being a so, punk to you first. <laughs> is that how do you teach your kids to have an authentic prayer life? Yeah. <laughs> you need to have an authentic <laughs> prayer life. Yeah. And so yeah. by the time they're little, they're hearing you pray. You know, now I'm married to a modern day desert mother. <laughs> who doesn't so, who doesn't live in the who desert doesn't live in the desert although we are oh, over hi, here it's kind of brown over here yeah high desert we're in the high desert less green than portland but anyway yes. uh and so um but i know that when our first child was born john mark soon as he was <laughs> came out in the world i was saying a couple hymns to him and yeah. read scripture over him, scripture's prayer. Yep. And then is. Diane, you prayed countless prayers oh, while you yeah. were nursing him and oh, stuff. Yeah. So, um, Up in the you know, and night, I, uh, yeah. So I think, for my kids. but uh, you made me think of a scripture in, in the Apostle Paul, one of his prayers, you know, he has some powerful prayers yes. in the New Testament, but in Ephesians 3, he's telling him not to lose heart. And he said, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Then he goes on and on. There's this powerful yes. prayer. But the, he starts off, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And I wrote in my Bible here, if I don't bow my knees, how can I expect my kids to? Oh, mm. that's so good. How long ago did you write that? Did you put I the date know. down? A long time ago. I I'm going to go with 1981. Me, like, so, I don't know, but Long time anyway, ago. Wow. I feel like that's the starting point. Yes, it's like yes. Mm -hmm. mo agree. Modeling it, yes. you know, and then, of course, teaching them to pray. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the only other thought I had was, I can remember, you know, Elizabeth and you guys were doing family Bible time, and, you know, I got one picture where you're sound asleep, because I was so mesmerizing, <laughs> but, you know, we're laying on the floor, and then I we would end it like, you want to pray about anything? And if somebody goes, my doggy hurt his foot, you know, whatever, don't make fun of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, you say let's pray for I the doggy's agree. foot. I agree, yeah, because mm -hmm. God is a healer. You know, so I think that's the first two thoughts that came to me: the modeling yeah. thing, and then, and then to encourage them to pray, and then don't like, you know, the worst thing to do would be to shame him because it, they said let's pray for the doggy's yeah. foot, or whatever. That's important right. to them. What's important right. to them? Let's pray about it. Well, before I throw the ball to the the brilliant ladies on the other side of the table, the only other th practical thought I had with that is I was just thinking the other day when you were going to the airport, mm -hmm. and. Um, we just make it very normal for our kids to pray. Yeah. Mean, yeah. Meaning like, hey, yeah. we pray out loud. We pray before meals. We pray when people go places before we get in the car. Like, So it's become very normalized where it could probably feel awkward if you're just starting this. So maybe that's a, a first caveat. But I just remember, I just said, hey, guys, mom's going to the airport. Uh, all four of you are going to pray for mom. <laughs> that's the first thing I said. So I didn't even, I, it was casual. Like you're going to pray for yeah. mom. Uh, Duke, you're going to pray for mom to have like a really deep refreshment and time with her sister. Uh, Scarlett, you're going to pray for safety because I know that being anxious around things of travel are really important to you and you know how to pray for her. Birdie, you're going to pray that mom sleeps well. And Sloan, you're going to pray that mom has fun. Yeah. <laughs> And, and awesome. I mean, the, the prayers were just so funny um, <laughs> and not very yeah. long. And I think probably half hearted at times. Uh, but that was just something that I just, you know, I know that as much as we've normalized it, that I think has helped um, our kids, at least in a in a practical way. That's just one way in which we try to infuse it. But Diane or Elizabeth, I know you had some thoughts on this. Well, you're what you're saying is you're teaching them that you talk to God about everything. Yeah. And right. that was the first thought that I had is, you know, especially when they're younger, they're like, it. they feel awkward. Like, how do I talk to this big God? And I think as much as we can just, it's just like you're talking to dad. 
Like you just have a conversation, just like you're talking to me. We say that a lot to our kids. Like when they're unsure or they don't want to pray in front of us or Mm -hmm. you're just talking to dad, like just talk to him like he's your dad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing to note is that when your kids are younger and even upper elementary, like most of their prayers are going to be asking God for things. God, will you heal my foot? God, will you help my mom say yes to this? God, will you like, and that's okay. Like that, think about their relationship with us, their parent. Most of it is them asking us for things Mm -hmm. that they're not usually coming up and saying, mom, I just want to tell you what a fantastic mom you are. And thank you so much for making me lunch. (laughs) And, you know, maybe a little bit as they get older, but most of it is mom, what's for lunch? And so them asking is very normal. I think that's sometimes the first step in them learning to pray is just ask God about everything. Ask him for things. He's a lavish God Mm -hmm. who wants to give to you. But then our job as their parents is one thing we can do is anytime we see God answer a prayer, Mm -hmm. we can then teach them to thank God. Say, hey, you prayed about that or we prayed about this together. Let's take a minute and just thank God that he healed Mm -hmm. your foot. That's so awesome. Mm -hmm. So we can teach them prayers of gratitude after they've asked. And then I think another way we can teach them other forms of prayer is anytime somebody needs prayer, like we just got, if we have a family text chain and somebody Mm -hmm. in the family asks for prayer and Brooke and I are going to pray individually, but we're going to pray together at at dinner. We're going to pray for people together and we're teaching them empathy. We're teaching them to go to God on other people's behalf. So I think just don't be alarmed if there's not for years, if there's not much more than just asking God for all the things that they want. Like that's just part of their development and it's normal and we can help them grow that and recognize being thankful and praying for other people. You know, another thing, uh, Diane, I'm sure you're going to share some great stuff, but if your kids are a little older, uh, they're going to they're going to have concerns and worries and what do I do about this? So Mm -hmm. I think it's good to, if you want, the question was, how do you teach them to pray authentically, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, even for me, I think I always think of prayer as me talking to God instead of yeah. God talking to me. So it's listening. Mm. And uh, I heard this, I forget what I read this recently, but it just really hit because, you know, I used to tell you kids, we used to act out the story of Samuel and Eli in the temple where yeah, Samuel's young I prophet and, and the Lord speaking goes, you called me, Eli, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And he comes again. You had to, you had to call me. No, I didn't call you. Finally, Eli, who who wasn't really walking with God at the time, he was not raising his kids. He realized, oh, the Lord is speaking to the boys. So next time he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your mm. servant is listening. And what I read was too often, it's like, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Instead of yes. speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So I think part of teaching them authentic to pray authentically yeah. is begin to say, yeah, we're, we're talking to God and we're asking for things, but let's, let's listen to his response and he's going to speak Mm -hmm. through the word primarily Mm -hmm. and he's going to speak through others and through creation and so he's going to answer and so give them that that expectancy that it's a two-way conversation that's really good so i have a couple thoughts about this you know um because prayer is most often honest in all honesty us asking god for something yeah which is ourselves or on behalf of another Mm -hmm. you know we have a very close friend right now who's just diagnosed with cancer we don't know the implications and we are just petitioning. I'm waking up at the yes, night praying for her. Mm-hmm. I'm first thing in the morning and praying for her. I mean, constantly. This is what God wants. We bring our desires before God. Yes. Um, and, and we always have to be careful and teach our kid to be careful that there is a tension between our genuine good desires and demanding from God right. what mm-hmm. we want to do. And in between, 
this desire and this um, demand, and we all kind of make the mistakes, but in between is the area of trust where we, so we tell our kids to pray about everything and we pray with them about everything. And then we say, now we trust God that he knows better than we do. Mm. So a couple things about authentic prayer, though. I think when children are very young, we almost want to avoid the um, more generic name of God. Um, it's an English translation. It's most often actually in scripture, Yahweh, which the Hebrews would have understood as this big, huge, inclusive name of mm-hmm. I am who I am and who I am I will be to you. It's like yep. a power name. Um Whereas God for us is, you know, could be any sort of God. So yeah. I, I did remember when our kids were little, people suggesting that we use the word because they had a great dad, um, that they use the name Father yes, when they address father. God. And because there's there's just this instant connection. If the if mm. your kids yeah. have a good dad, there's an in- instant connection. I had a really good dad. I still probably when I'm praying more than any other name I use to address God is father. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. I'm coming yep. to my dad. You know, um, I, I got to, I got to interject there because you yeah. just, what, when the disciples who were yes. closer to Jesus than anybody, they're yeah. li- doing life with them, teach us to pray. Yeah. What did he say? Our, our father. father. Yeah. Yes. When you pray, yeah. pray yeah. our father. And, and I think that's, you know, it's not that God's like, I said, Oh, you didn't, you didn't start, right? So I'm not going to listen to you, you know, but I mean, I think really, if you wanted to say, really, if you wanted to really follow the biblical pattern for prayer, we would pray to our father in Jesus name, I think. I think so too. So that was another other name is Jesus addressing father and addressing Jesus. I think just lends automatic intimacy. Yeah. Because when we're talking about authenticness, what we're really saying is we want them to, to learn an intimate kind of prayer that is just so real and direct and not um, not made up in yeah. any way. Um, but then there are other types of prayer, like noticing God is training our children to notice God in the everydayness of life. Mm-hmm. Kind of what you said, Elizabeth, you're constantly bringing back to, oh, look at God answered that prayer mm-hmm. or... Or just being aware. I mean, you go on a walk with mm-hmm. your kids, Elizabeth, and Birdie is going to be the one to notice all of the beauty of God in the outdoors because mm-hmm. she's just her mind is just fascinated by mm-hmm. animals and caterpillars. And I mean, she she's praying to the God who made that creation, and she mm-hmm. probably is individually, uniquely attuned to God yeah. mm-hmm. in Agreed. the outdoors. Capitalize on that with your kids. Um, because some kids are going to be able to notice God more around the outside. And I think that's yeah, a form of prayer. Mm-hmm. Practicing the presence of God yeah. is really just including him constantly. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think your kids' minds and hearts and souls are more adept at this than ours. Yes. We're having to go. We're so full of anxious care sometimes that we just, we're trying to solve problems all the time, not bringing them to the Father. Whereas kids... Yeah more authentically bring mm-hmm. their problems yeah. and worries to the father. I see I see yeah. Phil right here and Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, you go. Ladies first, then Phil. You're both like chomping at no, the No, I want to go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rock, I'm, paper, scissors. I'm going to pass it back to Brooke because... Oh, but but I want to pass it to you first. <laughs> yes, okay. okay, okay you so were Phil, just you with your it. sister, Rebecca. Yeah. And you just spent a few days together. 
visiting her in LA. But when, when you were just talking about seeing God in creation, I've seen that in birdie too. Like yeah, when yeah, I take yeah. the girls on a walk, you know, you know, Scarlett's like, do I have to go around all the way around? <laughs> and Birdie's like, there's a rock to step on there. I can jump to that rock. And she's grabbing, what flower is this? You know, she's know, like, she, it would take, I could, you know, take forever to get her around thinking she's noticing every single thing. Yeah. But you, it just reminded me, I don't know when it happened. We were driving and I don't know where she got it, but your sister Rebecca, once we were little, little, you probably, you were still in your car seat. She goes, look, dad. God's painting again. I remember we would say that. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know where yeah. she got that, but I, I associate it with her. Yeah. So she either looked at a rainbow or a sky and yeah. she said, God is painting again. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you're talking about yes. is if you have a child, especially who notices that, mm -hmm. but then creation yeah. reflects, shows us the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And so the, the heavens declare the glory of yeah. God. Psalm 19. Yeah. Uh, and, and the sky is his handiwork. And so I mm -hmm. think that, you know, man, we should take advantage of that. Yeah. Well, what I was going to pass to you, Brooke, is, when you were telling me when I was out of town and Scarlett was anxious at night and she came in to ask you about it and you pointed her to a scripture and had her basically pray that scripture. Oh, and I think yeah, you should share that story. I think yeah. it's a really practical, helpful way to, to kind of tie a bow on everything we've talked about where you said it's first coming out of your own life, which this did. You had a scripture in you to answer what yes. Scarlett was asking, but then you taught her how to make it personal to her and what she was struggling with. Yeah. Well, it was, um, yeah, she was feeling a lot, uh, as, as I think, uh, we all do. And she was just like, dad, I'm feeling super anxious tonight. What do I do? And uh, my hope was to just try to teach her like, Hey, what do you do when you're feeling anxious? Not just in this moment, but any moment. And the first verse that came to mind is Philippians four, uh, six, mm -hmm. um, where are we at? I got it right here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, present your request to God. Right. And then verse seven, which was the important <laughs> part. Uh, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So she's like, but this started with dad, I'm anxious. Do you have a verse that would help me with that? That's how she started because yeah. she had her own Bible that we got her. And I said, actually, yeah. So turn to this verse. And then I said, see what happens when you're anxious. Uh, what do you do? And she's like, I think pray. I was like, yeah, pray about all of it. Pray that you're uh, anxious, falling asleep, uh, taking off on a flight, um, <laughs> landing on a flight, uh, whatever you're anxious about. And then I said, look at the result of it. And then I just pointed to verse seven and the God, which transcends all understanding will does what, what does he guard? And she's like, uh, heart and mind. And it's like, right. He guards your emotions and he, and, and he actually guards your, your mind, your thoughts. So he gives you yeah. peace all through your body, your emotions, mm -hmm. but also through your, your mind. And he, and it's, it's an incredible thing. And so, um, that, that was actually, I, I felt like it was a, a softball cause she just set me up like, dad, would you know a verse? And, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, then we just prayed it in. We just prayed like, God, would you please specifically do that? And then I just said, Hey, you need to do this or use this whenever I'm not around. Mm -hmm. And then she, so then she has like, she's very artistic and has this Bible that's really like artistically bent. And so she just starts like putting this, this, uh, these underlines on it and like points to it and, you know, just does all this design around this verse. And it was, it was actually very sweet. Um, but you know, the thing that comes to my mind, uh, that is really important about most people that change the world. Uh, there's a book I'm reading by Richard Brewer. Oh, sorry, not Richard Brewer, not even close Ronald Rollheiser, uh, called prayer. And he just says one thing in here that's just really important. It says, in my experience, the extraordinary people I have known and admired all had the same secret. 
they prayed privately. Mm. And I would say they, they prayed privately. They, they prayed publicly. They prayed. They were people that prayed. And I would say, if you really want to help your kids, if you are looking for help, uh, praying and beginning in an authentic prayer life is important. And then also just having different kinds of prayer. Like you said, I think, uh, I, I used to feel this pressure to like go to God with a list. And then I was introduced to, um, you know, meditation prayer, meditative prayer, where you're walking and just Jesus, please come with me on this walk. And I just want to notice your beauty and creation Mm -hmm. and almost taking the pressure off of responding or like asking specific requests and then just like changing the trajectory to just being with God. Um, Sometimes for doers, that can be really helpful not to just try to accomplish Mm -hmm. or control or manipulate God into what you're hoping he does. So that's a long answer to one pretty simple question, but I think most of these are. um, He said that was a softball question. That was a softball. That we went on for 20 minutes or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, literally 20 minutes. So um, the another question that I want to mention, but we're going to answer by pointing you to another episode is Sabbath ideas for families and also how that Sabbath can work in light of phones, sports, friends. Um, by the time this episode com- comes out, you're, I'm going to point you to a wonderful conversation we just had with AJ Swoboda. Uh, he wrote a wonderful book called Subversive Sabbath, and we did a whole episode, so we'll link it in the show notes. You can listen to it. And it was just so helpful on this exact question. So to answer that question, I'm going to point you back to that episode, which is uh, going to, which is out now, so you can listen to that. Um, next one I want to want to just, this maybe is a softball, we'll see. Um, but working and living with neurodiversity uh, in your children. Hmm. So um, <laughs> this is not a softball question at all, uh, but but working and living with neurodiversity within your children. I think, first of all, one of you needs to define neurodiversity. Yes, I'll let Elizabeth yeah. do that. I mean, the most least technical way to describe that is anybody whose brain who works differently. Mm-hmm. So that would be, I mean, typically when you see a list of what is considered neurodiverse, it would be anybody on the spectrum, autism spectrum, um, anybody with ADHD or OCD or um, dyslexia is considered a neurodiversity. Um, anybody whose brain doesn't work in the typical way, which yeah. is a surprisingly large amount mm-hmm. of our world. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, you know, I used to hear that word and think just those with like obvious disabilities mm-hmm. or when it's really obvious, but there's a lot of kids, especially where it's not super obvious. They might just look mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they don't behave <laughs> or, yeah. you know, there, yeah. there's a lot of neurodiverse people. The, in the world. Well, the actual, I just want to point out that the actual definition is the range of differences in individual brain function, which is what you said, mm-hmm. and behavioral traits yeah. regarding as part of normal variation in the human population. Hmm. So, you know, and you said you're right. That's exactly right. The It could be a spectrum of things. I don't know about, I, I don't want to speak for you because I think you have so much to say on this, but I think some of my favorite people in the whole world mm. are those who are no, neurodiverse. Uh-huh. <laughs> they uh-huh. are simply some of my favorite people in the world. Uh-huh. And I, I wish it was maybe, I think neurodiversity is a great way to say it, but I just wish we could name it like neuro superpower because uh-huh. there are is such a beauty when you do not operate like the majority that yeah. gives you a window into heaven. And I know with one of our neuro, neurodiverse kids, like it is, I don't know what 
she would be like if she wasn't mm -hmm. neurodiverse, mm -hmm. but I don't want it. I love this version. Yes. I don't know yeah. what the other one was, but if I had to give up this version for that, like no way. Love it very much. Mm -hmm. So the question, back to this wonderfully simple, <laughs> straightforward <laughs> question. Yeah, like basically how do you um, how do you work with and or in a living situation? Mm -hmm. We could go on and on about this. We have other episodes we can point yeah, you to. Yeah, I could talk for hours for on hours. this topic. But yeah, just give a little snapshot for some that maybe, and I, I think someone said this as well with neurodiverse parents. So if you're yeah. young, and I know that's not as much our experience, um, so I don't think we can speak as much to that, but I do think we can at least say a few things if you are a parent and you have a child that's neurodiverse. Yeah, I mean, a few things came to mind and I totally agree with what you're saying about Birdie. Like we just celebrate her differences now, but it wasn't always like that in the beginning as we were just learning about it and trying to understand what was happening. And the first thing I would say is if you haven't gone through the process of grieving certain aspects of maybe what you thought your child's life would be like or their experience would be like or your experience would be like as a parent. And if there's parts, because obviously there are parts with raising neurodiverse kids that is really hard. Yeah. And I think if we are not first <laughs> honest about that and allow ourselves to feel those feelings and talk to God about it and grieve yeah. whatever parts of that we need to grieve, then we actually can't get to the place where we can celebrate those kids wholeheartedly and rejoice in their quirkiness and the different way in which they move through the world, it can actually just become this like frustration and annoyance if we're not allowing ourselves to feel how the fact that that can sometimes be hard. It can be both hard and a beautiful gift at the same time. So I could talk about that forever, but I think that's really the most important first step because then it really does lead you to be able to celebrate them and embrace them and be thankful for their differences and what they bring to your family. And then I think through that, like we have this great responsibility as their parents. We live in a world that is set up for neurotypical people, mm -hmm. for people who all school systems are set up for kids who learn in one specific way with maybe a few schools who've done a good job trying to shift the mold a little mm -hmm. bit. But our workforce is mostly set up for a specific type of brain and person with a little bit of diversity, but not much. And I think we're seeing this, this change in mm -hmm. our world because we're mm -hmm. becoming more aware of the superpowers of people with dyslexia. And, but, but we're behind in this, like our world is yeah. not set up for them to thrive. Yeah. So it's our job as their parents to help them thrive in a world that is not going to be super easy for them, but we have to set up their life and their learning and we need to give them tools to know about how they are wired. I, Brooke and I get asked <laughs> all the time from mm. parents who don't have a diagnosis yet for their kid. They're sensing that something Something's might off. be off or even in themselves, they're sensing maybe they have ADHD or whatever it is, yeah. but they don't want to go get their kid tested because they're afraid that they will be labeled and put in a box. Mm. And again, I could talk on this for so long because I'm in the camp of when we do have the diagnosis, when we do know what is just different about our kids, not wrong, mm -hmm. just that they're honestly, wired. Honestly, beautiful about beautiful. that. Yeah, because with honestly, some beautiful. of these diversities comes this incredible gift. I mean, when you just take five minutes and research dyslexia, they're mm -hmm. some of the most mm -hmm. gifted 
successful entrepreneurial people in the the world world, because their brain just works differently. But I'm in the camp of if we don't know what's going on, if we don't have the diagnosis, then we can't give them the tools to be successful in our world. You know, I remember our son before he was diagnosed with dyslexia, he was saying, I'm so stupid. Yes. I remember this. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, Which broke our heart. I mean, I went like went in and talked to his teachers. Like, is he behind? Is he struggling academically? Is he right about what he's saying? We don't (laughs) think so, but like, we don't want to be blind here. (laughs) But he was saying, everybody knows the answer before I do. And he had all these analogies that just took him a little bit to get to the answer. But he felt like, because everybody knows it faster than me, I'm stupid. Yeah. So it took us a few years of like understanding, oh, he has dyslexia and then explaining to him what that means and how his brain actually works and that, no, you're not stupid. Your brain just works differently. And here's all the things you're incredibly gifted at. And your ability to remember things you learn audibly is like unreal because you have dyslexia. It's unnerving sometimes how much you can remember. So. In my opinion, and from our experience with two of our kids with multiple diagnoses, the diagnosis is actually a gift and a freedom to your kids, to your home. And I'm assuming the person asking this question has diagnoses. But um, I think it is our job as their parents to help a kid with ADHD learn how to manage their life, Mm -hmm. learn how to be able to manage a schedule. It is a gift that will keep on giving, so to speak, for the rest of their life. Yeah. So, cause I, cause, okay. So I have a couple of friends who have discovered as adults that they have ADHD mm-hmm. and they have said to their parents, how come you did not help me with yeah. this? Yeah. yeah. And do you realize how much different my life would have been if you mm-hmm. would have helped me with this? Yeah. Even give a, given me language, a couple of things that as you were talking that came to my mind is we talk about the idea of unfolding your kids. You know, you discover yeah. them, you mm-hmm. learn who they are. Mm-hmm. They're not to just be molded, but unfolded. You're to discover who they are. And I think that sometimes um, we don't we're not ready to discover who our kids are, or we have certain ideals and it's hard to accept that maybe the version of who they really are is not who we had as, as our our ideal. Mm -hmm. And then, so and I'm speaking from personal experience here. So instead of accepting what it is, you try to fit them within a certain mold and you actually then say, we'll fit in this box because our world says that's normal. Mm -hmm. So let's get into that box. And they hear the message, (coughs) try harder. Or you're not, yeah, all the yeah. things like we've, we've gone through this in such an extensive way. And we have found that it is such a gift to unfold who God has given you and not be hopeful of who God has not given you and to appreciate who that little one is and lead them to Jesus and lead them in the ways of, uh, of life and give them the tools at a young age to communicate around this stuff so that they can have the best chance at becoming full versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I, it's really important before I move on to the second part of this question, which is going to hit home. I know even for Diane, because I know this is going to be, I'm not even gonna tell you what it is, but I'll ask you in a second. I know both of you feel and Diane have something to say, so go for it. You're just making me think of a scripture when you're talking about unfolding your child. Of course, I mean, we thought of Psalm 139 yep. where, um, David saying, yes, you, God formed my inward parts. Uh, you wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you mm-hmm. for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, you know, I'm fearfully wonderful is really what, what yeah. it's saying there in Hebrew. Wow. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. 
your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. That's for every kid. Yes. And I yes, agree. we're in a fallen world, and it's not heaven until heaven, but I mean, it just made me think of that, that every every child is special. Yeah. I think this is just one of those moments because I had also opened to Psalm 139. Are you serious? <laughs> Are you serious? Uh, yes. <laughs> I love Seriously. It. Uh, that's great. A different translation. I brought my New Living. Oh, I love the New Living. And read, I do read. too. And, and listen to this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, including their brain. Yes. And knit me together in my mother's womb. Hmm. Thank you. For making me so wonderfully complex. Wow. Hmm. And that's wow. what you wonderfully have in the complex. diversity. Yeah. Uh, unusual. Yes. Complex. And, and, and then he goes on to say, your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know wow. it. Now, I also realize that much neurodiversity comes through tragedy. Yeah. Yes. So we're not saying that God is um, at fault here. Um, I, I believe that he meant for your children's brains to be fully functioning, um, to be at ease in the world. And mm -hmm. I believe that's going to happen on someday with a capital S. Yeah, yeah. I'm right. glad you said right. that. Yeah. So, but I am saying that he still sees them as a wonderfully complex mm. person. And for me yes. as a grandparent with several neurally how do you say neurodiverse neurodiverse neuro neuro I mean, that sounds so technical because <laughs> these are kids whose quirkiness i adore i yeah. do too um and I I, too. it's so easy for me to see as a grandmother that they are bringing gifts to the world that our world needs desperately yes in this fast driving success worshiping world to have some of these quirky kids who make us stop and slow us down and um, who overreact sometimes to our rush through life yeah. and who force us to uh, stop because mm -hmm. they can't yeah. keep up with our pace. We need to see them for the gifts of God that they are. And as a grandparent, not to minimize how hard it is for them to be this person yeah. and how hard it is to raise these kids. Yes. Yes. Because my instinct is don't ever criticize my grandchildren because they're mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but sometimes telling the truth, <laughs> listening to a diagnosis, recognizing the truth is just a relief to your kids who are raising these children because my first instinct is to say, well, I'm like that too. Or I get overwhelmed too, mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. or you know, trying to normalize what is clearly not normal, mm -hmm. and instead to celebrate they are a, they are unusual. Their quirkiness gets them in trouble at school, makes relationships sometimes difficult, mm -hmm. and so, quite often leads to horrible meltdowns that mm -hmm. they cannot control, like. Uh, maybe a child whose brain is functioning fully. Yeah. Oh. If we can just recognize that and love those kids where they are and applaud their parents for the extra work that those kids take, um, I think that's a great gift we can give to our kids. Yeah. Instead of trying to yeah. constantly pretend that they're normal, um, just like that we're just like them, that yes. they're just like us, but just say, yeah. no. This is hard. These are oh, hard kids to raise. Too. I, I want to yeah. say something because as you're talking, it is reminding me of this so 
uh, just so many vivid emotions. But uh, if you want a great cry fest and know exactly what this looks like, there is a show called Love on the Spectrum, which is about Mm -hmm. basically it's so the concept is in one part like so funny, but then also the most heartwarming wrenching like elizabeth and i watched just an episode and we cried the, <laughs> the whole, whole time, <laughs> time because it's neurodiverse people of mm-hmm. all sorts mm-hmm. trying to figure out how do i, I want to date i want to be married but mm-hmm. i don't know how yeah. and what we don't even care about the relationship end of it what we and it's a beautifully it's it's appropriate for kids it's not crass or anything it's it's just sweet and we always just like we'll watch it and make note of like the parents. It's always yeah, you notice you, the, the parents. parents that actually taught their kids the language or the fact that they are neurodiverse and have given them with I'm sure great sacrifice the tools to be able to function at least in a way in the, in this world's requirement, you know, that we have. Uh, and it is always the most heartwarming thing when you see like, oh my goodness, you see the kids that never had help on that show and then you see the kids or they're adults now and i remember this one girl she goes they're going on a date and she just explains she's like listen uh you know i have some of these these challenges so that's what this is going to look like on this date i'm going to probably have moments where i'm distracted and seem like i'm zoning out i'm listening to you but i just my brain can't focus on your face for this long it really bothers me if i look at somebody directly for too long so i'm going to let you know that i'm listening and she just goes through and describes all the things that she Mm. has and how it's going to impact their date but that she's interested and that she cares about the the moment and it's exciting for her and i was just like (laughs) this this is so beautiful like in in many ways it's like she has more self-awareness awareness than mm, yeah. than whatever a neurotypical person yeah. would be described as but she and has confidence. that because her parents confidence, yeah. taught her that and exactly. it was probably an open conversation yeah. in their house and i think that's what you know to what Normalized, you're saying mom yeah. is and i think we've all said it it's both a beautiful gift and it's really hard for mm-hmm. those kids to move through yes. the world very hard. and i think in most cases if you have more than one kid You typically have neurotypical kids and neurodiverse Mm -hmm. kids Mm -hmm. under the same roof, under the same house rules, and somewhat the same way your family does life. And that is messy and hard and confusing. We are in the thick of it right now trying to figure out how to discipline our neurodiverse six-year-old and our neurotypical (laughs) (laughs) four-year-old who they're getting in trouble for the same things. They're hitting each other. For different reasons. How do we... The, the things that worked the first two times we've been in this stage with our older two are not working with our younger two and we're having yeah. to adapt yeah. and New tools adapt and, yeah. everything in intentional parenting mm-hmm. to, to fit mm-hmm. our unique situation. Yes. And we're having to seek counsel from other parents who have done this. We're actually going to interview a woman who I think is going to have amazing things to say about this yes. um, because it's messy and it's hard. So mm-hmm. I think the number one thing above everything we've said is that you have to constantly be asking God for wisdom yes, and not a wisdom in an overall, how do I handle the elementary years? It's how do I handle this hour today? How do I handle this meltdown? How do I be present to what's happening in the moment while also looking at their future? I think one piece of advice we got early on with Birdie was essentially that she is going to get overwhelmed. She's going to act out because of that. But she still has to function in your home and live in your home. And I think the tendency 
And some of the advice is to make excuses for some of these kids mm-hmm. or to isolate them, just mm-hmm. give them their own room and tell them to stay in there. Or, you know, mm-hmm. there's a range of advice that's given. But I think this one therapist early on who basically said, Helped you have to lot. teach her how to function in your yeah. world. Yeah. And I think that's been something that's we've grown in passion over of how do we help our kids yes. who are different? Yeah feel confident in their differences, mm-hmm. understand what their differences are, be able to advocate. My huge goal is that they can advocate for themselves, yeah. that Bertie can someday say, yeah, I have OCD. My brain gets really stuck. It's stuck right now. I need to go on a walk. Mm-hmm. That she could confidently say that. Yeah. And I, I'm hopeful that she's going to get there eventually. Well, I, I want to wrap in the next. So we have this, we, we're doing questions and I think yeah. I move, I'm, I'm not I trying to you stop. I could talk I know. about this for I know. hours so on to, end. So to wrap in the first question with the second one, yeah. can I just pray blessing over anybody listening with neurodiverse kids? Will you guys just join me? I'll, yeah. I'll just pray really yeah. quick, but we're going to pause. So Jesus, we just pray anybody that's mm-hmm. listening with that's in the particular space of having a neurodiverse child. I just pray for grace upon grace. Mm-hmm. I pray for favor upon favor. I pray yeah. for blessing upon blessing and that you would equip them with the right doctors, the right people, the right uh, organization, the right uh, community of love and support to help their little ones thrive and to become full functioning, passionate Jesus followers, mm-hmm. even within the midst of the challenges that they have. So bless mm-hmm. them as they even listen to this now. Yeah. Amen. If you're enjoying this content and you want to go deeper, we have an amazing resource that we want to tell you about. It's the intentional film series, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers. Now, this is an incredible tool for you for spiritual formation in the family. And we created this film series to help parents in their God-given task to raise and disciple their own children. Now, our hope is that we're able to help you and give you some of the tools that I know we so desperately need as we're in the process of raising our kids and Phil and Diane have actually raised their kids. This is a nine session film series on the process of what raising a passionate Jesus follower actually looks like. There's some workable solutions in here. There's a bunch of wisdom from the scriptures and there's a bunch of practical help in your journey as you are raising your children. We cover all sorts of things like parental roles, goals versus values. What is discipline versus punishment? How do I create a heart of obedience in my child where they actually want to obey? What is a heart of self-control look like? Or how do I even help my child in the process of character development? We cover that and so many more things. You can use this film series in a variety of ways. You can use it at your home, preferably with your spouse if that's applicable, with a group of friends or in your community, or even through your local church. All you need to do is head over to our website, intentionalparents.org, click on film series, and then follow the prompts. We have a bunch of other resources there that you can check out, but we do pray that this blesses you in your pursuit of raising passionate Jesus followers. On another light note, spousal communication. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> working through differences in personality, uh, working in differences of uh, low-grade conflict and tension, having difficult conversations. So it sounds what's, like this- What's qu- the question? The question is just like a, a vomit of, of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do. So I think if we're going to form this in a question, uh, spousal communication, how do we work through differences in our personality, our needs? How do we handle low-grade conflict and tension, difficult conversations? Well, the four of us never deal with any of this in our marriages. <laughs> so we're going to just skip this. No, uh, if you can't sense the sarcasm, I apologize. Um, Oh my goodness. Uh, is this an everyday thing for you guys or, or is that just mm-hmm. us? Like we have Multiple to- Multiple times a day. We have to- <laughs> work through tension or low grade conflict or, you know, handling needs. But 
Um, maybe just to, a couple thoughts on how we can both both parties can work on spousal communication. Well, I have one thing to say. Can, can you? What, what was that thing? Low low grade problem. Low grade conflict intention. Yeah. So I I think that that's a that's an interesting phrase. It is. I think that when we don't deal with conflict in marriage, it gets bigger, not smaller. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you know, I immediately just turned to Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, chapter two. You guys have oh, heard yeah. me quote this before. Um, catch the foxes. You know, this is God's, oh, yeah, little this fo- is yeah. God's book yeah, on like romantic love and dating and marriage and everything. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. Mm. <laughs> Not when they're done blossoming. <laughs> and, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm not yes. a, I'm not a, horticulture person or a expert <laughs> with with flowers but they blossom mm-hmm. you know some roses mm-hmm. blossom once a year and that's mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and some of them are repeating right, right yeah there. yeah mm-hmm. but there's a time when they blossom and then they go dormant and okay. it is interesting that when a tree or a flower or in this case a vine blossoms that is its most vulnerable moment so you you don't uh do major um you know cutting back on flowering vines because it's it it can lead to premature death like you don't trim a tree in the middle of summer because that's really harsh on the tree um and i think that's a little bit what's being referred to here is that there are times where real clear put it all on the table say what needs to be said and there are there other times where acceptance grace gentleness kindness Mm. Um, is a better way. And, yeah. and having the sensitivity of the spirit to know when does this need to be addressed or and when is I'm just annoyed and being a little selfish and wanting everybody to do life my way. Mm. Um, and instead it may be not addressed, but just mm. confessed. Mm. So, th- and that's very vague answer, but it's got to be kind of the first well, thing. Yes. We're all about putting everything on the table. Right. But sometimes we need to be about just being, recognizing he's having a hard day and I don't yeah. need to add to it. This is not a well, that, Are you taking that's We're talking lo- about more mind that, things. That's love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> just kidding. You know, love covers a multitude. There's yeah. a time mm-hmm. to just, just let it go. Like, you oh, know, because, yes. hey, I, I think so. he's yeah. exhausted and he needs yeah. dinner. <laughs> you know, he's yes. hungry or whatever. <laughs> but here, I got one more thing to say about this. This, oh, yes. uh, this yes. uh, Song of Solomon 2. 15 i i had written in my bible here she asks him to do this so remember the song of solomon it's a poem it's poetry and it's the bride and the and the, yeah. the bridegroom yep. and the chorus you know a little mm-hmm. chorus in there so mm-hmm. this is the bride saying to the groom catch the foxes for us and i wrote when while our vineyards are still in blossom. <laughs> and I wrote in the right <laughs> husband, priest, provider, protector. So it's like, yes, both husband and wife are responsible That's to keep the relationship healthy. It's not just the husband. I mean, my wife is priest to me too this morning. You know, she yeah. was pastoring me. So it goes both ways. And it doesn't mean a wife can't help provide, but ultimately the husband is responsible. And so here he's, she's asking him to, you know, 
deal with the little foxes that are that are hurting their yes. relationship. Right? That's I, communication. And I hear so he, he's saying, "Don't just shut down and go all silent on me." Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, which a lot of men are really good at. Well, Not every what, what I hear you yeah. saying, though, and yeah. I think this is the biblical. We we did that whole series on gender roles in marriage, right? And one of the things I know we highlighted there. So go back and listen to that. We'll we'll put it in the show notes. But about uh, initiating, you know, it's not about doing all of the work. You can't be married on your own. But I think what that verse says to me uh, is initiation. You're initiating the conversation and uh, initiating the whole idea. And the, the thing that this question, you know, obviously it says, how do you handle spousal communication the first thing i thought of was like well first communicate like make sure you have time to talk about things i know for us it's a real challenge to find slivers of time that Mm -hmm. we can connect in a way where we actually have energy to connect Mm -hmm. and energy meaning just like to have a conversation i know that sounds silly but if you're in our stage of life you know exactly what i'm talking about um but the the verse that comes to mind about something that's just I'll say from my angle that has been very helpful in remembering how to handle spousal communication is First uh, Peter five six humble yourself therefore mm-hmm. under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Um, and for me, I, and I don't mean to take this uh, out of context in any way, but I think for me that phrase humble yourself has been. The moments I don't do that, it goes very, very bad. And the moments that I can remember to humble myself, or if I haven't gotten that word in that I want to, or I'm frustrated about this, almost remembering that God has has a, a beauty built into humility. There's a beauty built into it, and there's a peace and a that power happens. And a power that doesn't, that basically I don't always have to have the last word. I don't always have to be the one that is right about this one thing. Um, and I'm saying this as somebody who fails at this all the time, but I do think that as a goal or something that I know I want to aim for, it's to humble myself, uh, because that seems to be, I seem to be the, my, my worst problem in those (laughs) situations. I seem to be the one that gets myself in the most trouble. Any other thoughts? I have another verse. Yeah. I love Ephesians chapter four. I mean, honestly, the whole thing is about this, um, But in verse 31, uh, get rid of, in other words, don't bring it into this communication. All your bitterness, your rage, I'm adding in your, all your anger, all your harsh words and slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. Yeah. So before you ever come to the table to have, to carve out time to talk about these things, you have surrendered each of those you've recognized them your bitterness yep. your rage your anger your tendency towards harsh words to mm-hmm. dominate or your slander or malicious behavior which yep. can be that kind of um manipulative getting somebody into a corner um instead and i love this about ephesians and colossians paul uses like all these contrast things, which mm. really is helpful for some of us. Yeah. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I, I think if we could just, all of us would just kind of keep th- that verse in front, those two verses yeah. in front of us, yeah. then our communication would, over time, we build this sense of trust that our communication is safe. That we, yes, we correct each other, but it's really honestly a, the kind of correction the Holy Spirit does where we feel like relieved. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like oh, I'm so glad that we 
that the spirit showed me that yes. conviction. Yep. That's the how the conviction of the spirit goes. It just yeah. feels like, ah, oh, freedom. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and ideally, if we can be mature emotionally and spiritually people, then our conversations, even our hard conversations, can feel like freedom. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the difficult conversations is sticking up to me um, as far as like, how do you have difficult conversations? Mm-hmm. Again, I think you have to have them. Mm-hmm. But I, one thing that I know I'm growing in and want to be better at that I'm not there yet with, but is basically being honest about how hard a conversation might be. For example, there might be something that's really hard for you to talk about Diane to Phil, where it's maybe not a big mm-hmm. deal for him, mm-hmm. but it's hard for you to talk to mm-hmm. him about it because of how you feel about it. It's not even how he's going to feel, yeah. but even to set that stage and say, Hey, I have something I want to talk to you about. It's not a big, it's not crazy, but like, this is really hard for me to have this conversation okay, yeah. and it's really, I'm uncomfortable to talk to you about it. And I want you to know that I, I value our relationship. So I want to talk to you about it, but I'm, I'm just really struggling internally with how I'm, I'm feeling about it. So just setting the stage to say, I'm about to have a hard conversation with you. Could, and I mean, what, think about the other person. Like if, if Elizabeth says that to me, or I say that to Elizabeth, she's going to listen with a whole different ear. She's going to be way more aware of like, Hey, okay, I need to be careful because they're feeling a ton about this. And then maybe it does make you feel a ton, Mm -hmm. but at least you can know going into it. Like, I think that's a a huge gift to give to the other person, Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to say, Hey, I'm feeling a ton about this. And this is very hard for me to talk about, but I want to talk to you about it. I like that. I think that's really good. And another thing is sometimes we need to bring a third party in who um, is not super emotionally involved and can hear us both <laughs> yeah. and then explain us to each other. And mm-hmm. I, I just think that's really healthy. It doesn't have to even always be a marriage counselor. It can just be somebody who loves you both Yeah. and mm-hmm. um, hasn't been hurt by you. Yeah. So there, you know, <laughs> so it's a little clear. I mean, not very long ago, I sat at a kitchen table with um, two people I love and their marriage hasn't always been easy. Um, our marriage hasn't always been easy. So I'm like right there. I, I just get it. And I'm listening to him and I'm listening to her and they weren't really having an argument, but you could see some tension. And all of a sudden just, I just got it. I could see him. I could hear what he's saying and I could totally understand why she was completely frustrated and he couldn't understand. Yes. Why. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so we spent a little bit of time trying to kind of talk about it. And then yeah. afterwards, talked just to the woman and um i gave her some empathy but also also some exhortation to be patient that god is at work in her husband's life and he's maybe resisting a little bit because he's so uncomfortable and um and that maybe her patience with him and gentleness with him would um open doors Instead yeah. of just kind of, you know, barging through, trying to convince him, you know, that he's thinking <laughs> yeah. this wrong. So I, sometimes you just need that third person yep. to, like, it wasn't, I, he had, didn't hurt my feelings. So it was pretty easy for me to be able to say, you know, I think God is at work in him. Yeah. But um, he is really squirming. And um, <laughs> maybe if you're just patient with yeah, him, yeah, yeah. you can let God do what yes. you can't. Yes. I want to end us with one more question. Any other quick thought. I, 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 we well, can talk about just, this for a I long time. I had so. another scripture. I mean, we could go on and on about yes. marriage. Show it's your last so scripture deep. and then we'll move well, on. Well, what she question. was saying about, you know, the husband and the wife, 
I think I know who you're talking about, but I may not. But you were there, apparently. You, maybe you were. You're saying he was a little off. Yes. So it made me think of First Peter three, where the wife is told, uh, "Be submissive to your own husband, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, mm-hmm. they may be won without a word by the behavior of your wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior." So you were encouraging the wife, "Hey." Yes, he's off on this, but you're not yes. going to win him over by slamming him in the face exactly. and telling him everything wrong with him <laughs> yeah. and how he had to change <laughs> yes. and you've got that's it all down. Yeah. He, yes. That's yeah. not going to work, you know, yes. but the Bible actually says by your respectful, doesn't mean you're not talking about it, but there's a time and a place for everything, right? Yes. And um, so anyway, uh, yeah. it's First Peter 3. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, which I doesn't, it. many people have interpreted misinterpreted that passage over the years right. to mean a wife is never to bring up any of her concerns to her husband no. and mm. just quiet meaning you know like stuff it girl no you, but you that need never to not talk but going about back it. to you know we did those we did four episodes on this and we went into deep detail about what phil's talking about yeah. so if if that is like a concern to you or or maybe if you're like even right now going well how does this actually play out practically uh we did a whole episode which i'll link in the show notes as well uh because it's such a and i would hate to even try to address it here because it's such yeah. a deep impactful meaningful important topic and mm-hmm. it's beautiful like what god what god gives the roles yeah. of, of husbands and wives it's a beautiful it, gift yeah maybe just to sum up this question that just it's worth it it's mm-hmm. worth yes. it to that's yeah. good figure it out because the yes. same thing in first peter 3 is says let him who means to love life and see good days well, who doesn't want that i want to love life and see good days <laughs> refrain true. his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile let him turn away from evil and do good yeah, and then the last one, good. let him seek peace and pursue it. And so I pursue. think like you can't just say, well, I just don't want to talk about it. That's you know, good. you've got to seek it and pursue it if you want to love life and see yes. good days, yep. which we all do. Mm. Yeah. Yes, we so, do. Yeah. That's good. Last question for today. Um, how do you navigate serious or long-term illness with a spouse or a parent? Mm. Well, we all know something about that. You yeah. Know? Um, Elizabeth has had is experiencing chronic illness. Yeah. When I was twenty six, yep, that's what I was stood thinking. by my side while I went deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of would be interested in hearing from you men. Yeah, honestly, because <laughs> in our, in our situation, <laughs> Brooke, you haven't yeah. experienced chronic illness. Phil, you haven't experienced chronic no. illness, but you've been married to wives who at crucial times of raising their kids have experienced you mm-hmm. know, illness in different yeah. ways. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't consider that's interesting. You, you pointed that out. I mean, I'll, so as far as you're concerned, <laughs> I would say the first thing you do is, is you learn chronic. what you learn how not to do it. Oh yes. Like when I said to you, well, Hey, you don't have cancer or anything. I mean, even if you lose all your hearing, I'll still love you. you. Said that? Well, that was a disaster. <laughs> I did not. Yeah, that that was right up there with uh, the the one Mother's Day where I oh, no. didn't give her a Mother's okay. Day present. Okay, what? so what? funny as that is now, oh, it was no. not funny. No, of course not. Um, and I think there were years and years where I threw that in your face. So uh, yes, yes, yes <laughs> you, you did. But hold on, honestly. So here it is. Number one, don't minimize. Do not yeah. minimize that's the good. illness. Yeah. That's good. Even if you think you would have weathered it better than them, don't 
minimize the yes. impact of that illness and the disappointment that goes with ha- being somebody who has an illness that they may never recover from or that is robbing them of some of the best years of their life. Yeah. What I was trying mm-hmm. to do was say, hey, it's going to be mm-hmm. okay and I'm yes. going to love you no matter what, but I didn't go about it the right way. So don't minimize it. Yeah. Say it. No. So I mean, you learn how not to handle it, but, uh, and then, uh, I was just going to say that, that, was right up there with the time I didn't give her a Mother's Day present and she was hurt by it. And I said, well, I'm not your mother. Oh, no. Oh, oh that was that, that was probably my oh. top 10. Love, love. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wanted to switch gears and talk about you, Di, because you took care of your father and your mother. They both went to be with Jesus in our house. And your dad was only there a couple of days because he was so close to going to be with the Lord. By the time he got to our house, he didn't even make it into the doctor. He got there on a mm-hmm. Saturday and he died Monday morning. And you mm-hmm. were the one that took care of him right up until that moment. But your mom lived with us for a while. And I was, to use the vernacular, blown away by your compassion for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I she was in a hospital bed and you know she couldn't shower they had to give her sponge baths and stuff and Diane's going in there and putting lotion on her and you know I was watching her take care of her mother and I was reminded that it was the um the women that went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus so w- women have this amazing ability to care for people in crisis not that guys can't do it there are male nurses and there are guys that are compassionate but I feel like women are way ahead of men, generally speaking, but you, you cared for your mom, even though there were some wounds there in your upbringing from her and you cared for her physically, emotionally watched over her and Brooke and Elizabeth, you guys helped too, because you're living across the street at the time and you helped. <laughs> I and remember Simone her coming helped, over. She yeah. had, it was in the yeah. time when she was definitely going she was in getting and out. confused. Yeah. She was getting confused yeah. and we had some of the funniest yeah. conversations. Yeah. I loved, I loved her in that space. Yeah. Was, but anyway, really I, I felt like I think you should, you should address that because you did it. And I, I don't think yeah. you're like bragging about yourself. I'm bragging about you. Mm-hmm. I was amazed at how you cared for your mom so lovingly. Okay, so I guess what I would like to, in turning this even back, caretaking, back to marriage, what I discovered when I was taking care of my mom, more than anything else, is that if you're doing it in the strength of the Spirit of God, and you're in the Word, and you're constantly bringing this new role to Him, I think that caretaking can unleash an amazing power. Um, I, up to that point in time, was pretty resistant to my mom. She'd hurt me mm. pretty deeply over many, many years. Didn't trust her. But then all of a sudden, I'm her caretaker. And and God did something so miraculous and beautiful in my life that I'm not going to take any credit for. Because, I, because I, I could have gone into caretaking with all sorts of resentment and selfishness and um, I, there was plenty of that more to be weeded out in my life. But if you are in a caretaking situation with a spouse, with a husband or a wife, I think that you need to view this as a, as yes, a trial, a difficulty, but also as a test mm. and also as an opportunity for the Spirit of God to change you from the inside out mm-hmm. in, in a fast and furious um healing kind of way. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a different person since I took care of my mom. And yeah. that was only for a few months. 
Yeah. But when a man is, is, ends up being the caretaker or having to take on more responsibility than he thinks is right because his wife doesn't feel good. I feel like those are just like, those are, those are times when God just does over months what to take a lifetime for many other yeah. people to achieve. So if you can see this as an assignment by God, say this is not an unfair thing. This is not a bummer. I mean, it is. But if you can say <laughs> yeah. this is God is asking something of me that he is not asking of the average man my age and stage of life. And I think that he has something really big for me in this. Um, if you can go into it like that, then I think that could unleash the spirit to do marvelous things. And I can say that because how many books have we all read? A story of a husband or a wife mm-hmm. given an extra burden and we learn at their feet um, and, and we see this beauty that happens in their spirit. So, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I think besides, you know, don't minimize it. I think don't minimize how difficult it is to be a caretaker and to yes. step in and do all those things either. But bring Oops. those so surrendered to God that he's able to actually use them and create beauty <laughs> in in something that's hard. Well, so, I remember I mean, that might not be very practical. but it's not, it's not practical, but it's deep and true is that. In this world, you will have tribulation yeah. and suffering. Yes. Paul yeah. said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection yeah. and the fellowship of his sufferings. Yes. That suffering can either make us, you know, better or bitter is the, to yep. use the words. But it's like, in your case, you didn't even feel like the Lord told you you had to take your mom in. He invited you. You right. told me, so I think I the Lord's inviting me. And first you're like, no. Yes. You know, no way. But then you realize he was inviting you, and the invitation was to die. You don't have to do this, death. but if you want to bring your mom into your home, I'm going to give you an opportunity to die a, a deeper, deeper death, death that yeah. I might do an even more beautiful work yes. in you. Yeah. Which reminds me of you and I are reading this book on by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who mm-hmm. was martyred yes. by the Nazis when he was 39 years old. He's yeah. an amazing man of God. And the first quote you and I started talking about is he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah. so when yeah. you took, you accepted the invitation, a lot of people won't accept the invitation. Well, okay, but remember, but I'm her daughter. Right. I had a choice. You had a choice. I had to choose. She'd been asked to leave her care home and I couldn't yeah. see another good option for her. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had a choice. But when it's a husband and wife, like this question, there's really not a choice. You, no. exactly. you are yeah. being... Um, Die a deeper yeah. death. And yeah. then God will do a beautiful work in you. Yeah. He'll shape you into the image of his son. Yes. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. So, and it will be so maybe don't minimize it. Accept it. Yeah, as, as a gift, as a from, gift God. from God, which or is which is nobody's going to say that, but an what, invitation, an invitation from God. from God, and the invitation is to die a deeper death. And, yeah, well, um, that was the marriage vows, for better or for worse. Yes, that's right. I hope people are still saying these; they're traditional, so but they're biblical. Yeah. In sickness, as yeah. in health, in joy, as in sorrow, yeah. and be to her a true and devoted husband, be to him a true and devoted wife, forsaking all others as long as you both still live. Do you so promise? So it's like yes. a vow. Yes, between you and God and between each other. And so when one gets sick yeah. or in a car wreck or cancer yeah. or dementia, it's like, ah, you know, 
get rid of you. No, no, it's it's God. It's God. Please it's, don't ever say that. It's the heart of God to lay down your life because yeah. that was your vow on your wedding day. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, uh, and the Bible has some stuff to say about vows too. It's better to yeah. not vow than yeah. not keep a vow. So it's like, and that's all an Ecclesiastes. This is speaking but, to what is our orientation towards life? Is it? I want to have a happy life and be happy and have plenty of space and pursue happiness. Is that my goal in life? Mm. Or is, or am I following after Christ and with everything in me and, and wanting to please him and him alone? Yeah. Now, that orientation is going to give you a certain sort of strength when things are hard and unexpected and not the way life is supposed to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of, so that's the caretaking end, which I think is a huge part of that question. Mm-hmm. But then the ongoing chronic end, mm-hmm. you know, is it, so I agree with everything you're saying in principle. I love all of it. But then I also think some of that plays out. I know for me, like, so I know all that head knowledge, but that's really hard sometimes to get into the day to day when you feel like, um, not not been robbed, but like when stuff is just so challenging, like what do you do with all that right. in the midst of it? Right. Cause with like, for example, my dad passed away last December, there was a definitive moment where he got sick and uh-huh. then there was a definitive moment when he passed uh-huh. and then there, then the suffering changed, right. When he passed, uh-huh. it's a whole different kind, but it, it, the suffering was over the chronic, uh, illness piece. I know Elizabeth being sick often, mm-hmm. um, that that's been a whole new angle mm-hmm. for me. So I love and agree with everything that you guys just said, but I've had to sit in the day to day of like, uh, sometimes I don't want to come and die. Sometimes I'm like, I've died a lot. I don't really know how to die more than I've <laughs> I have to been die to, again today. I have to die all the way dead today. Right. Like mm-hmm. I don't, you know, so there's, there's that end. And, uh, a couple of things that were coming to my mind, when we were talking about this. How do you deal with it? I think first you have to recognize that chronic pain is a family affair. Yeah. If yes. your spouse or your child or someone in your home is chronically sick, it is a family affair. That yeah. means your days are going to look different. Your days off are going to look different. What you can and can't do, what your nights look like, what your mornings look like, whatever you do looks very different. And it has to, because yeah. how could it not? Um, you can't honor the situation. So first to accept that it is in a family affair and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, our life looks very different. Elizabeth does not go on walks at night with our family. Now, I wish she could and I wish she would, mm-hmm. but she can't because her body's so physically tired by whatever, you know, seven o'clock or, or whatever the kids know, mom's taking a bath. This is mom's time to take a bath. This is our time to go on a walk. Uh, I do tons of the heavy lifting at night because that's actually a necessity because her energy at night is way lower. Yeah. And that's not something that, like, I'm, I'm not definitely not patting myself on the back because I don't do it well most of the time. But I think if you go into it understanding that one, it's a family affair and that it's something that God does use to shape you, um, it it becomes one of those things that in time can become something that shapes you if you allow it to. Because I think Uh that's the other part. We can let this you you can become so bitter so easily. I mean, just so easily. And something that helped me a while ago is I'm a I'm more fun oriented by nature. So when days off would come around, 
Elizabeth's my play partner, right? Like mm-hmm. in the sense, she's my friend. She's my play partner. So when when days like Sabbath come around, it's time to hang out. It's time to watch movies. It's time to do married stuff. It's time to do, like, this is my play partner. This mm-hmm. is like the person I get to do stuff with. But when she wakes up, and I and I know the look, you know, you, as you're as you are married, and if you've been married for any length of time, you you can read a spouse's body language, facial expressions to to say they say a lot without saying anything, and I can immediately see like, oh, like I've lost my play partner for today. The day that I had hoped and built up in my mind is now so very different than mm-hmm. than what I expected, and that took a long time, and I would not even say without that we're out of that completely. But I would say this taken a long time for me to be okay with, like to basically wake up Mm -hmm. and say, wow, uh, all the things I had hoped for are going to not be today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I won't even pretend that that's still easy. It's not even easy at all. But the more that we press into accepting that this is our life and our world and then learning language around it, um, and then also recognizing that she's suffering, right? So yes. I'm talking about how this is affecting me. Like, let's take a minute. She's the one that's actually suffering. She's right. the one that's feeling the pain. And she's the one that- And a day to play yes. with her family. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it's easy to say, yeah. how do I support like on my end? But at the end of the day, she's also the one having to feel sick in her body, yeah. to feel chronic pain and chronic fatigue to a level that's like abnormal and hard to just get through the yeah. day a lot of the times. Yeah. So it- and then all the guilt and shame that goes with that. Yeah. Know. Yeah. My my therapist said, I don't understand what Chinese water torture is, but he said chronic pain is like Chinese water torture. Yeah. It just is a <laughs> yeah. slow drip of pain yeah. that doesn't stop. And and you have good days and you have bad days. And sometimes you don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's been the thing that's also been so hard is that sometimes it's just a pain day. Like we wake up and today's going to be a pain day Mm -hmm. and, and it's a physical pain for her, mildly, mildly emotional, mostly emotional pain for me Mm -hmm. and, and even for like, and then how that affects the tone of our home. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, the answer is Jesus. I think serve Jesus. It's, it's an ongoing Mm -hmm. thing that I know that we're all learning. Um, and learning how to communicate about, I think we didn't have Mm -hmm. very good communication about it for a long time. I didn't have. I had a few diagnoses, but they were kind of unclear as far as it didn't make sense why my symptoms were as bad as they were. And so I just thought, well, if I just try harder, if I eat better, if Mm. I exercise more. So I tried to kind of control it on my own end and not be super upfront. I didn't want it Mm. to affect Brooke. I didn't want it to affect the kids. I felt guilty that I couldn't go on a walk. And we didn't really have good language around it. I knew he was disappointed, but we couldn't even really (laughs) talk about it because I couldn't we couldn't quite figure out what was happening. Yeah. But I think we've each in a really good and healthy way had to communicate about each other's needs and even disappointments. And also I'm like processing this as I'm saying it. So hopefully I can make it make sense. Almost unhook from each other's responses and feelings about it. Like I have to be okay with the fact that my limitations and my chronic pain and illness is going to affect him. There's no way that it cannot affect him. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have days where he's really bummed about that. And I can't fix that. I can't rescue him. I can't try to make him feel better. What I can do is see him in it mm-hmm. and say, man, I see the extra load you have. You get home from work and I seriously need your help. And I that's hard for me 
to not like have it all and be able to do it all. But I have to be able to see him and say, man, I mm. recognize the extra load that you do for our family. Mm. And I see you, you know, and I think for a long time I apologized for it because I didn't genuinely felt bad. And now I think we have new language of just, hey, I see you. Or I'll even have to give him a heads up like, hey, just today's an extra bad day. I don't know where I'm going to be at when you get home. Because sometimes it's important to kind of brace him for how I might feel. And then other days I might feel better than others. And I let him in on that. So I think communicating and seeing each other in it has really, mm. we're, we're new to this and trying to do a yeah. better job. There's a lot of people that do it a lot better than we do. Yeah. And you have to have another, you have to have another way to live. You can't just assume that the way that you lived before is going to be the way that you live after you have to have another way. And if you're wanting like, uh, you know, like a, a practical little thing, I know something that was given to me a while ago was this, uh, basically this, this idea of every, every chronic pain patient needs a few things every day and chronic pain might be the person that's experiencing the pain or the person that's maybe caretaking for the pain or experiencing the pain from it before things that you need every day is gentle exercise. So think of walks, think of if you're a runner, maybe gentle exercise, good food, mm -hmm. human touch and laughter. Mm -hmm. Every chron chronic pain patient needs those four things. And I, and I would add, uh, time with Jesus, Jesus. time with Jesus, yeah. like time with Jesus to reflect on all of that and to be able to work through this new reality that you're in. So if mm -hmm. you're a person listening to this and this is your new reality, um, maybe just try to fit those four things in some good food, some human touch, some laughter, some gentle exercise. Phil, why don't you close this out today? Yeah, I, got well, a verse. I just think we need to remember the world that we're living in is not the way God initially created it. Yeah. yeah. If, you know, I like to say it's not heaven until heaven, but he's, he's going to recreate. It's going to be a, the age to come and yes. new heaven and a new earth mm -hmm. and revelation. I'm reading revelation right now. There will be no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain. But right now we're in a fallen world. Yeah. And, and then we are, you know, all of you have said the same thing. Like Diane said, well, I can't take credit for this. It was Jesus that gave me the power to love my mom this way. You're saying it's Jesus that gives me the ability to, to, to care. Get, yeah. And, you know, you said, but <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I mean, I die, but I die again and I die again. And I think, yes. I think I wanted to close by saying, I, I remember I knew there was a verse, I die daily. I yeah. knew it was, oh, yeah, knew yeah, it was yeah, in yeah. the yeah. epistles, but I had to, I had to That's find it I, here. Yeah. I was flipping around because I thought it was in you know, Galatians or Ephesians, but it's in first Corinthians 15. And that's the chapter all about the resurrection. And it ends in mm. a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. And, mm. you know, and the, the perishable put on the imperishable. In other words, heaven is coming and, yeah. and it's, it's going to be, but in that, in the midst of all that, Paul says, um, uh, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, he goes, I die daily. So when, when I quoted Bonhoeffer, when mm. Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It's not a one-time thing. Yeah. And you're a seven on the Enneagram and you crave fun and, yeah. and mm -hmm. enjoyment. And yet you, God's calling you to die daily. And you, and you can only do that with the Lord's help. But I'm so proud of you because you're doing mm. it. Thank yeah. you. You know, it's the fight or flight thing, you know, whatever. Just you're not crazy. running from the responsibility. It's not. He's not like, oh, yay, I can't wait to more no. crisis. I mean, we'd be crazy if we looked yeah. at life that way. But I just, I guess I wanted to just say we need to remember that 
uh, our allegiance is Diane's new word. Our allegiance is to our King Jesus. And this, this chapter is all about him. It says he must reign until he has put all mm. enemies under his feet. The last yes. enemy that will be abolished is death. Mm. And yes, yeah. he can heal sickness, but he, he's, he's going to reign. He mm. is reigning, but one day all things will be made right yeah. again and there will be no more need. Um, we'll be enjoying his presence forever. And that's all. Th- you know, I, I can't wait. The older yeah. I get, the more I can't wait. But in the meantime, we all need to die daily. And and Jesus said, when a seed falls into the ground, it bears fruit. If it just yes. if it if it just sits there, yeah. nothing happens. But when it yes. dies, yes. it bears much fruit. It does. And I think that's a great way to end it. Uh, I think the last note: if you're a person like trying to do this right, you know, if you're caretaking or you're having chronic pain, suffering, uh, be kind to yourself. This is really hard to navigate. Yeah. It's really hard to do. Be kind to yourself. It's as hard as it feels. And that's something that is important for you to embrace and to remember and to not have this false expectation that, oh, you're going to handle chronic pain. Or, I mean, we, we this week we've had so many people close to us diagnosed with cancer. It is bizarre. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is like scary. And it's what is their life going to be like? And what does that mean for them? What does that mean for me? You know, like there's just certain things in life that are really hard. And so wherever you're at, um, take these scriptures, take these uh, thoughts, pray them in. We encourage you to do it. So Phil, I'm sorry. I, I know I was being a punk, but I think you did way better mm-hmm. at the surprise questions than you were giving yourself credit for what you assumed. Know, th- this whole thing was really long. It's got to be a two-part Q&R, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. But the point is, I think that uh, punk or not, I was right on this one. I was right on this one that <laughs> you guys are way better uh, with the surprise questions. And, and I love it. So thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If this podcast has blessed you in any way, here's a few ways that you can partner with us in this ministry. First is to give. Intentional Parents is a nonprofit and we rely on the generous giving of our partners. So please head over to our website, intentionalparents.org slash give if you would like to become one of our partners through giving. Second is to share it. If this has at all been helpful to you, we encourage you to share it with your friends, your family, and those that you know would be blessed by it. Third is to follow us on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us on Instagram at intentional underscore parents. And lastly, if you would head over to iTunes, if you enjoyed today's episode and leave a review on iTunes, this helps us bring more hope, help, and healing for families.